Thank you. Hi, everyone. So exciting to be here. Thank you for coming out on Thanksgiving. Before I start, I just wanted to mention that brand new program that we are starting that's in your paper. So exciting. So people have been complaining to me for many years, it's not fair, you run GPATs, and only people who can sit and learn Torah in the Sturmbait Midrash from 9 to 5.30 can be in your program, which is only half true if you could do half a day, but you got to come to our Bait Midrash. So we decided to start some of this online. So there are three different classes that we're starting in the next week. So if you want to sign up, please do. One class on Gemara, one class on Halacha, which I'm teaching. Some people say to me all the time, why can't I take your Stern course in Hilchot Nida? So here you go. I'm going to be a six-part series, which obviously is only a small chunk of my class at Stern, but uh, it'll be the beginning, and maybe in a year from now, we'll do another six parts to get the next part in. Um, and then Dr. Levine, who's in our Tanakh track at GPETS, who's going to be giving a Tanakh six-part series. So please find it in your paper. There are going to be emails going out. I'm sure you're going to get them in the next day or so. Are you ready? got them sign up it's really exciting to be part of the vision of gpats which is talmud torah for women though men you are invited to sign up as well but uh you know our our main love here is to allow women to have opportunities to learn torah on the highest of levels what i wanted to do today with you is talk about secrets and i know this is uh I, I released the title, and uh, maybe I regret the title, but a lot of people have come over to me and say, you know Avram and Rivka are not married, right? And he, yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> As I said, I probably shouldn't stand here if I thought they were. Um, but what I wanted to talk to you today is about secrets. And I think, though, in general, we do say in a good marriage there should be no secrets, and in relationships possibly no secrets, but we all know that we have secrets. And if you read in psychology, you find out that keep Keeping secrets can actually be very harmful to us, right? We stress about a secret, they weigh on us, we can't stop thinking about it. So very often it is actually healthier to share our secrets. So it's interesting to question, why do we keep secrets? And in order to do that, I wanted to do two different stories in Safer Brashit on secrets. And you might say to me, why two? Well, I only have an hour here, so that's also why. But the reason why is because I think these two secrets are different different than all other secrets. You see, if you look at other psychology articles, and I was looking at an article from Psychology Today called The Things We Don't Tell Others by Dr. David Luden, and he said there are three main reasons or three categories of secrets, and they all make sense. When you think about his categories, you could give it different titles, but these are the titles he gave. One was morality. He said sometimes you keep a secret because you've done something wrong, so you don't want to share it with others. You're embarrassed of what you've done wrong. You want to hide what you've done wrong. So a lot of secrets in the Torah fall into that category, right? For example, Rachel doesn't tell anyone she took the trophim of her father, because maybe she was embarrassed that she did that. Or Kayan tries to hide the fact that he killed his brother Hevel. Or Adam and Chava try to hide from God the secret that they ate from the forbidden tree. We hide secrets because we're embarrassed of what we've done. That's category one, and a lot of secrets in Torah fall into that category. Category two is what he called insight. Sometimes we keep a secret because it's important to keep a secret. There's a reason why I want to keep something a secret. Possibly the information is confidential, but there's a reason why I want to keep this a secret. Like, for example, Sarah and then Rivka later try to keep their identity a secret in Egypt for Sarah and in Grar for both of them to try to save the lives of their husband. Or Yaakov tries to keep a secret as he runs away from Lavan to save his family. Or Shimshon 
wants to keep the power of his strength, such as being his hair, a secret so that, of course, he wouldn't get into trouble. Those are the type of secrets we have all the time, and they make total sense. The third type of secret falls into the third category that he calls connectiveness. Connectiveness, he means, is that sometimes we have private information that we only want to share with people who are close to us. So sometimes we keep a secret because you're not of level to know that information. We don't have the type of relationship that I would reveal that secret to you. And I would put back in the one about Sarah and Rivka. They hid their identity from those that were strangers to them, not from the people that they were close to. Now, all of those type of secrets, I understand, they all make a ton of sense. So the two stories that I want to discuss with you today don't fit into any of those categories, and they make absolutely no sense to me. In both stories, no one did anything wrong, so there's no morality. In both stories, there seems to be no reason to keep the secret, so that would be the inside category. And in both stories, the secret is kept from a spouse, so connectiveness doesn't make sense because that's the person who they are closest to. And I'll add a layer, because in both of those stories, you would actually think they would want to tell the secret. They would be so excited to tell the secret to their spouse. So what are the two secrets that I'm talking about? Again, not a secret between Avram and Rivka, but a secret of Avram and a secret of Rivka. The first one is source number one. Hopefully you all have my source sheet by now, is a secret that Avram keeps from his wife, Sarah. You see what happens in source number one, Embrace Yud Zion, is Hashem tells Avraham an incredible thing, which is change the name of Sarah, and I'm going to bless her and she's going to have a baby. And I could imagine, that's so exciting. All these years we've been married and we wanted to have a baby together. And I just found out Sarah's going to have a baby. I'm going to race home and I'm going to tell her right away. But as we know in Breshit which is the next parrot, she has no clue. How do I know that she has no clue? Because the three angels come to the house of Avraham and they say, Aye, Sarah, where is Sarah? And we hear that she is nearby listening the she is standing in the opening listening to what they say and when they say Sarah's going to have a baby she cracks up she starts laughing this is crazy this is ridiculous clearly she did not know the secret this is a surprise to her and it would seem that Avram did not tell her that's bizarre the second secret is this week's Parsha, source number two. Rivka becomes pregnant, and as we all know, and the babies are fighting, whatever's going on inside of her, she finds it very odd, she doesn't know what's going on, she goes to seek out God, whatever that means, and she finds out this incredible prophecy, she has two nations, two children, right? She's not having one kid, she's having two, and they are inside her stomach, they're going to be two nations, they're going to be strong, they're going to kind of have issues, they're going to separate from each other, the older will serve the young. And you would think telling her husband she's going to have twins, telling her husband of the future of their children would be something he would want to know. You'd think she would have told him. But it seems very clear that he doesn't know. Because in Bereshah's Chav Zion, when Yitzhak gets old and he wants to give a bracha to his son, you would think if he knew the prophecy, he would say, of course, the bracha goes to Yaakov, right? However, what does he do? As we all know, I gave it to you here in source number two. 
while Esav ben Gadol, he calls to Esav and says, bring me some delicious food. Why? So I can give you a bracha before I die. So you have these two crazy stories. I mean, why are you not telling your spouse a very important secret? Why are you not revealing this very important news? Why are you not telling Sarah's going to have a baby? Why are you not telling your husband you're going to have twins and therefore the future of them is the younger is going to be superior to the older? But to make my question even stronger, if you continue in both stories, there's a repercussion to keeping the secret and the repercussion seems to be pretty bad. And that would make us believe even stronger that they shouldn't have kept the secret. What do I mean? In the story of Avram and Sarah, source number three, when Sarah finds out, as I just said before, she laughs. She thinks it's hysterical. She thinks it's hilarious. I'm 90 years old and I'm going to have a baby. But God doesn't seem to find that very entertaining. What is going on? Why is Sarah laughing? I don't understand. You see, if she'd known the secret, she wouldn't have laughed, assumingly, and therefore God would not have gotten so irritated with her. And God goes on to say, do you not think that Hashem could do this miracle? What is happening? And then she has to deny. I didn't really laugh. Yes, you did. No, you did. Oh, we're yelling. We're yelling at Sarah. All of a sudden, God is mad at Sarah, which could have been avoided had she just known the secret. Not only that, I think there's a hint that God's annoyed at Avram too. Why didn't you tell Sarah the secret? Where do you see that within the language? Because immediately after, only a few psukim later, Hashem says, and it's a weird line in the Pasuk, should I keep a secret from Avram what I'm about to do? And he's referring to the fact that he's going to destroy Sodom. It's kind of like he's implying, should I keep a secret from Avram? Of course I wouldn't keep a secret from Avram. Avram, why'd you keep a secret, right? Like I'm going to do what I'm pretty irritated that you just did. And in the story of the secret of Rivka, I think the repercussion is even worse. If you look at source number four, what happens because she keeps a secret from her husband, Yitzchak? Yitzchak then wants to bless Yitzchak, tells Yitzchak to go out into the field, to go get some food. In the meantime, now, Rivka has to dress up Yaakov to pretend to be Esau. Yitzchak gives a bracha to Yaakov thinking that it's Esau. And we all know how that story ends, source number four. Esau finds out that Yaakov stole his bracha and therefore he gets so incredibly angry and states, When my father dies, I am going to kill my brother. I am so incredibly angry. Which causes Rivka to have to do the following, Pasuk Mem Gimel. She has to tell Yaakov, please go run away to my brother's house and stay there because your life is in danger. So all of a sudden, because of a secret, the stories really unravel in a really terrible way. Sarah seems to get in trouble with God. And of course, in the other story of Rivka's secret, Yaakov's life is in danger. He has to run away and he has to live apart from his parents for almost the rest of his life. Wow. Those would seem to be two terrible secrets that I really don't understand. But then I asked myself the following question. Is anything that I just said true? Is anything that I said true? I always like to question myself, right? Is anything that I just said true? I just assumed to you that if Sarah had known the secret, she wouldn't have been surprised, she wouldn't have laughed, and God wouldn't have yelled at her. That was my assumption. And I also just said that I assumed that if Rivka had told Yitzchak the secret, Yitzchak would have wanted to bless Yaakov, and we would have avoided the whole fighting between Yaakov and Esau over the bracha. That's what I just 
just assumed. But maybe my assumptions are actually wrong. Maybe it's not true at all. Maybe even had they known the secret, the story would have unraveled in exactly the same way. It is possible to argue Sarah knew. Maybe Avram went home and Avram told her, and she knew. But still, when she hears it from the angel, it's still ridiculous. It's still ridiculous to think that a 90-year-old can have a baby. So she laughed anyway. She was going to laugh no matter what. And that is the view, by the way, of a Barbanel. If you look at source number five. Ain Safik. Avram Sarah Of course Avram told her. Well, it's crazy to think Avram didn't tell her the prophecy. That's crazy. He was explaining to her the whole thing, right? You're going to have a baby. I need to have a bris mila. What, you think he did that all without telling his wife? And therefore, when now she overheard it from the angel, she shouldn't have left. And that's why God gets mad at her. You knew it already. So the first time, okay, it's ridiculous. Second time now, you should have believed. So really, Avram did not keep a secret from her, and the story unraveled the way it did, even though there wasn't a secret. And I could do the same thing in the Rivka story. Maybe Rivka told Yitzchak. She told him, we're going to have babies, we're going to have twins, and I'm telling you, the prophecy is that the older is going to serve the younger. Maybe he knew, but he still wanted to bless Esav. Why might he want to bless Esav anyway? Source number six, the Pasuk told us, by Ahav, Yitzchak is Esav. He liked Esav. He really, really loved Esav. Or, or, some of the Mepharshim want to argue, source number six, Seven, a genius Radak, who says as follows, no, that's not why. You know, he knew he had to bless Esav. Why? Yeah, Yitzhak's not silly. He knew that there was bad qualities to Esav. That's exactly why he had to give him the bracha, because he wasn't going to inherit it naturally. He knew automatically the bracha of Avram was going to go on Yaakov, but his poor son Esav was going to get nothing, so I had to give him a bracha so he gets something. If you look at the very end, right? Think about it. Is there ever a time in the Pasuk where Avraham blesses Yitzchak? No, because it automatically went to Yitzchak. So Yitzchak didn't have to bless Yaakov. It was going to automatically go to Yaakov. Why is he giving Esau a blessing? So that Esau would have a blessing. The story was going to go the way it was going to go with or without the secret. Or I can argue similar but a little bit different. If you look at source number eight, if you know the story plays out, Esav is supposed to get a bracha that Yaakov steals. And after Yaakov steals the bracha, Yitzchak then, before sending Yaakov away, gives him another bracha. And if you compare these two brachot, they're completely different. Therefore, you're able to argue one bracha was actually meant for Esav and one bracha was actually meant for Yaakov. And the only reason why Yitzchak has to give Yaakov a second bracha is because like, you got the wrong one, so I got to give you yours now. One of the differences, look at source 8. The one that Yaakov steals, which was intended for Esav, is about wealth and is about being able to be victorious over enemies. That's the blessing. You're going to be wealthy, right? You're going to do well. You're going to be able to be blessed in life. And then the continuation is that the other nations will bow down to you and you'll be able to be victorious in battle. Possibly, Yitzhak really intended the whole time, whether he knew the secret or not, to give that to Esau. That was the blessing for Esau. And what was the blessing for Yaakov? Look at what he gives Yaakov when he knows it's Yaakov. That's right? And you should be multiply and be many. And I give you Birkas Avraham. I give you the land of Israel. I give you the blessing that was to Avraham. And therefore, maybe Yitzhak the whole time had two brachas, one for Esau, one for Yaakov. 
Yaakov. Rivka didn't understand this. And therefore, even though he knew the secret, he was going to give the blessing to Esau anyway. And therefore, by stealing the bracha, it messed up the whole thing. And this is the interpretation of many Mepharshim, by the way, and found in Rav Hirsch, which I gave you here. Two elements were represented in his house by his two sons, in Esau's material power, in Yaakov's spiritual. Yitzchak knew quite well that both of these factors were necessary for the prosperity of the nation. Further, Yitzchak probably knew of the prophecy of Rav It wasn't a secret. But Yitzchak could have believed that the Abrahamitic calling was to be carried on by Esav and a Yitzchak in brotherly unison, each one complementing the other, and therefore intended giving Esav a blessing of material content but for Yaakov a spiritual one. Maybe there was a picture that Yitzchak had of having two different blessings to two different sons and them coming together possibly to have a Jewish nation together or to have different nations and be able to work together combined. And therefore it is possible to argue 100% that Sarah knew the secret. That Yitzchak knew the secret. There was no secret in these stories and the stories played out the way they did regardless of the fact that they were told the message or the secret of their spouse. However, if I want to go back to the way I said it the first time, that there are secrets. They didn't tell the secrets. And the secrets have huge consequences that seem to be very negative. Then I need to understand why did Avram keep the secret? Why did Rivka keep the secret? It would seem very odd that those secrets would be kept from their spouses. So I decided, let me do a search of the Mepharshim because they got to ask my question. This has to be a question that's asked by the Mepharshim. Very strangely, not so many. But I did find it asked by the Ramban and answered by the Ramban in very similar ways in both cases. If you look at source number nine with me, the Ramban gives two answers to ask why Avraham didn't tell Sarah this secret. If you look where I underlined at the very beginning, Ki Avram lo gilala. Avram did not tell her the secret. That is clearly the thesis of the Ramban. And he gives two answers. I want to start from the second answer and then go to the first answer. So if you're looking, it's like two lines in, three lines in, oh, I underlined the word oh and uh, bolded it so that you can see where I am. Oh, second answer. May rov zrizu mitzvat Oh, fascinating answer. Because really, God told him two things. One, Sarah's going to have a baby. Two, have a bris milah. So, okay, I have a mitzvah. I have to do a bris milah. So, he got very busy with doing the bris milah and making sure that everyone in his house had a bris milah. And then he was just so tired when it was done. So, he just sat down in front of his house because he was exhausted. And then the malachim showed up. So, like... He just never got around to it. He never got around to tell. Of course he was going to tell her. He just didn't get around. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's why it's the second answer of Ramban. That's hard. That's hard to take. Okay. Says the Ramban in his first answer, another answer. So let's go back now to the word Ulai. Ulai him tin ad shiluach Hashem eleha machar. Maybe he's like, I shouldn't tell her. I'm going to wait. I think God's going to tell her tomorrow. Because he had this idea, he had this understanding that God doesn't do things to his servants unless he reveals it to them. Now this answer of Ramban I find very difficult because until now, as far as I know, God never spoke to Sarah. So the idea that Avram felt that God was going to reveal it to Sarah firsthand is a little bit hard to understand. So what I was trying to understand is what does Ramban mean? Does Ramban mean he really thought, I'm not going to keep it a secret because God's going to tell her. And better off God tell her than I tell her. 
interesting, or is it he thought he's not allowed to tell her because God was going to tell her? And that's what inspired in me this idea that maybe he was hinting to the Orachayim. The Orachayim has a thesis in a totally different place on Shemot about something that Moshe says, based on a Gemara, that maybe there's a concept as follows. We're talking about Moshe here to Yitro. There's an idea that we have that's found in the Gemara, that if a prophecy is given and God doesn't say more, it means you're not allowed to tell it. Only lay more you're allowed to share not lay more you have to keep it to yourself based on this idea Rav Hirsch says maybe that's what's going on here although Avram had already been informed of it it seemed that he did not feel he had the right to tell Sarah and then he says in parentheses this exact point at the giving of the covenant God had said lay more but not at the communication regarding Sarah and therefore maybe he wasn't allowed to tell her or he felt like he shouldn't be the one to tell her Interestingly, that's the same idea that Ramban brings up in the story of Rivka. If you look at source number 10 with me, Ramban asks the same question. Why does Rivka not tell Yitzhak the secret? And he writes, Don't think that she told. She did not tell him the secret. She did not tell him the prophecy. Where I underlined, I can't tell him. He's a greater prophet than me. Like, who am I to tell him something that God said to me? If God wants him to know, God will tell him. I'm not going to tell him. So I looked at these answers. I didn't fully understand them. I'll be honest. I really I struggled with these answers of the Ramban, that they didn't feel they could tell the secret, that they, it's just something very difficult. So I want to put them on hold for a moment. And I want to go in a different direction and we'll return to this idea of the Ramban in a few minutes. Maybe I need to look at this whole story in a very different way. If I go back to my psychology article, there were two main reasons why people keep a secret. One of them is to protect yourself. And another one is to protect others. So let's start with protecting yourself, right? Something that might be looked at a little bit selfishly, but sometimes we do that. We want to protect ourselves. How does that possibly fit into our stories? Well, it happens to be that I maybe presented the story to you in a very uncomplicated way, but they're actually much more complicated than I presented. Because even though it seems that the secret was something so amazing that they should have revealed, maybe it wasn't so amazing. Maybe there was something positive about it, but there was also something negative about it at the same time. Think about Rivka's prophecy or Rivka's secret. Yes, it's very positive. We're not just going to have one baby. We're going to have two. That's amazing, right? We've been infertile for a very long time. We're going to have two babies instead of one. That's incredible. But if I look at the second half of what she learned, it's the children are going to be at odds with each other for the rest of their lives. They're going to continue to fight till one takes the other one down. That's not so positive. I could understand Rivka hearing that. And again, if I want to make it about her, and we'll come back to the idea that it could be about Yitzchak, about protecting her self is maybe she's in total denial. This can't be true. I can't believe this. This is something I've been waiting for my whole life to have children to be a mom and to find out they're going to fight for forever and it's going to be this terrible relationship between the two brothers. I don't want to repeat it because I don't want to make it real. If I say it out loud, then then it's real to me. If I just say, no, 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 I didn't hear that. No, that can't be true. And I don't repeat it and I just shove it to the side of my head. Maybe it won't come true. Rather, what I'm going to do is behind the scenes manipulate things to try to make it that things will work out between them, which obviously doesn't go right, but that's what she was trying to do, to make it that this doesn't become real. When it comes to Avram, I think it's even simpler to see, because it seems very positive. Sarah's finally going to have a baby, but for Avraham, there's a negative side. For Avraham. Because as we all know, he has another son, and that son's name is Ishmael. And if you look closely at what happens when Avram finds out that Sarah's going to have a baby, there's a happy and then there's actually a sad. If you look at source number 11 with me, Avraham finds out 
falls on his face. He laughs. Could this really be true? I'm going to have a baby. I'm so old. She's so old. It's crazy. And then Pasuk Yitzchak, wait a minute. Why? What about Yishmael? What about my other son? And again here, Avraham may all of a sudden be struggling with the news, that was source 11, of what's going to happen. That means my son Yishmael is rejected. And that's not happy news to Avraham. And therefore, I don't want to repeat it. I don't want to make it real. What do I mean that's sad news to Avraham? Let's understand it from a shot perspective. And then I'm going to show you that Chazal believes this so incredibly strongly. It's really quite fantastic. If you look, think from a shot perspective, we know Yishmael is born when Avraham is 86 years old. And we know now in the story when he finds out that he's going to have a child, he's 99 years old because he's 100 when Yitzchak is born. So that is 13 years. 13 years. Think about how much love and and just everything of you goes into a child for 13 years, right? How much you believe in that child. How much you put of yourself in that child. And think about it. For 13 years, Avram believed that was the chosen kid because that was what he was told. You're going to have a child from your loins. He was never told Sarah was going to be the mom. He believed this was the chosen child. So you have to understand it every moment in time. He's teaching him about his future. He's teaching him how to be a good person. He's teaching him and telling him in the future you're going to have a chosen nation. You're going to inherit Eretz Yisrael. 13 years he invests in this kid. And all of a sudden, in one split second, God's like, by the way, you're going to have a kid. Yay! But guess what? Yishmael's out. Whoa! That is a very hard thing for Avram to take. And you see it because in the Psukim right afterwards, he says, and God gets kind of mad and God kind of huffs away. And then as Avraham is giving himself a bris milah and Yishmael a bris milah, over and over in the Psukim, I gave it to you in small, but I underlined bold, you could see, Yishmael bino, Yishmael bino, Yishmael bino. It's his son and he cannot let go of his son. So too, when he is told literally to remove his son from the home, if you look at Barisha Shafaf, I'm still in source 11. His son, the son that he has to send away. It is so hard for Abraham. So I don't want to repeat it. I don't want to make it real. Because for me, this isn't just good news. This is also very, very bad news. Now, Chazal really believes in this very strongly, this connection between Avram and Yishmael, not just before Yitzchak is born, but after Yitzchak is born. And it is quite incredible to see how Chazal traces the inability of Avraham to let go of Yishmael. Look with me at the next number of sources. If you look at source number 12 with me, this is the story of the three Malachim coming. So yes, that's true, that Yitzchak is not yet born, but Avram already knows that Yishmael is rejected from Parak Zion and that Yitzchak is going to be born. And even there, when he runs to get animals and to do hachnasas or him, and the Pasuk says, he gives to the boy, which again, Pshat is a servant. But what does Chazal tell us? Who is he saying, let's be involved in the mitzvah of Achnasas Orchim, says Rashi, according to Chazal, even though he knows Yishmael is rejected, he's still trying to educate him in mitzvot. Keep going. Yitzchak's now born. Source number 13. It's a Kedas Yitzchak. And God says to Avraham, very, very weird words. Take your son, Esbincha, your son. Yechidcha, your only son. Asherah Hafta, the one that you love, Et Yitzchak. You're like, why so many words? And of course, there's so many different explanations one could give, but look at the one given by Chazal that Rashi quotes. He says to, it's a conversation between Avraham and Hashem. Hashem says, take Bincha. And Avraham answers back. Which one are you talking about, God? I got two. And you're like, what are you talking about, Avram? You kicked one out. He doesn't even live with you. You may not even know where he is. What do you mean I have two sons? 
But in Avram's heart, I got two sons. And he says, fine, it's Yechidcha, take your only son. And Avram says back, I'm going to go, wait, Zeyachidimo, Zeyachidimo, I still don't know which one you're talking about. This one's the only one to his mom. This is the only one to his mom. Which one, God? Which one are you talking about? So Amar Hashem, so Hashem says back, Asher Hafta, the one you love. And what does he say back? Shame on you, okay, if I love them both. And then finally God says, it's Yitzchak. You feel it. You feel the inability of Avram to let go of Yishmael, but it keeps going. Source 14, Chazal even tells us that Chua Kedas Yitzchak, he takes Shnei Na'arav, and again, Pshat, two servants, two servants to help him. But according to Chazal Rashi, one of them is Yishmael. He takes Yishmael, Chua Kedas Yitzchak. Fantastic. Well, how is it that he's kept up with Yishmael? So Chazal fills us in, and I gave you a medrash that sounds in Source 15 in the Alka but it's found in other medrashim as well. Here's the story. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, which is as follows. Yishmael moves away, obviously, he kicked him out of the house, but Avram knows exactly where he lives and is in touch with him. And Yishmael gets married, and he starts to have a family. Very nice. Lachar Gimel Shanim. I'm going to read where I bolded. Lachar Gimel Shanim. Halach Avraham Lerotis Yishmael. Avraham goes to visit his son. They have a relationship. So he goes to visit his son Yishmael. And I love this line. You can almost feel the conversation. Sarah says, do not go visit Yishmael. You know that Yitzchak is the son you're supposed to be uh, paying attention to. And I was like, don't worry. I promise I won't even get off the camel. I really won't. Of course he does. In the place where Yishmael lives. And the story goes on to say that he encounters Yishmael's wife. And Yishmael's wife says to him, I'm really sorry, but uh, Yishmael is not home. So he says to Yishmael's wife, you know, I'm really tired. You know, could you give me some food? Could you give me some drink? Picking up where I bolded again. Amarla, Amarle, Ainli, so she says back to him, Ainli lo lechem I'm sorry, we have no bread, we have no water in the house. Can't give you anything. So Amarla, he says back to her, when Yishmael comes home, please tell him the following thing. And here's his quote. The Emri lo, here's what you should say. Chalaf es maftan beitcha. Change the entrance to your house. It's not good enough for you. It's not deserving of you. That was the message he leaves. The wife's like, okay, I have no idea. You don't like my door? I'm sorry. Right? And uh, Avram leaves. So Yishmael now comes. He's like, your dad doesn't like our door. But she repeats the words, right? The, the entrance to your home is not worthy of you. It's not good enough for you. So he's half a wise person because his father was wise. So Yishmael understood what his father meant. And he sends his wife away. Now, what does that show? First of all, that Avram still cares about Yishmael and cares that Yishmael has correct value. But number two, that Yishmael cares enough about his dad and his dad's opinion that he listens to his dad and sends his wife away because his dad didn't approve. The Medrash now goes on. He gets a new wife for himself. And Avram shows back up to visit his son once again. Same story. Yishmael's not home. Avram says, I'm really tired. And this time the wife says, here you go. Here's food. Here's drink. And then Avram goes and blesses Yishmael. This time is the right wife. right? And he gives him all these blessings. What you feel from the Medrash is a relationship, a constant relationship between Avram Avram and Yishmael, even after Yishmael was kicked out of the home. And if it wasn't good enough, continuing along in Chazal, source 16, when Sarah dies and Avram gets remarried, right? her name is Keturah within the Psukim, but comes along Chazal and tells us one view in Chazal, really it's Hagar, he's remarrying Hagar, reuniting the whole family, bringing Yishmael back into the home. And where do I see that all coming through? Source 17 in the Psukim, when Avram dies, he dies, he dies, he 
dies with happiness. You can only die with happiness if all your children have a relationship with you and you're happy with all your entire family and your children. But not only that, his two sons bury him together. And based on that, the Gemara tells us, we see from here, Yishmael's dad was alive, Yishmael does tshuva. It's a beautiful, happy ending to the story where Avraham dies and he seemingly has his whole family back together within Chazal. But what is Chazal trying to explain to us is that Avram had trouble letting go of Yishmael. And we see it within the Pshat. We see it within those words, those powerful words. Wait, this is such exciting news, but God, it's not such exciting news. Because, oh my gosh, what does that mean for Yishmael, who I've now invested in for 13 years? This is not such exciting news. I don't want to repeat this news. If you look at the Source 18 with me, it's it's such fantastic uh, words written by Rabbi Svi Grumet in a great, great book on Sefer Bereshit. And this is what he writes about what this moment means to Avraham. When he hears the second message about Sarah bearing him a child, his greatest fear is confirmed. His life is being radically interrupted. Another child, one from Sarah, would ruin everything he has built for the past 13 years. This is as challenging as his original Lech Lecha. There he was asked to leave his father, while here he's being told to sideline Yishmael. So Avram falls on his face and proclaims that he prefers to remain only with Yishmael. Despite Avram's avowal that he is satisfied with Yishmael, God insists that Yishmael is outside the covenant. On a human level, God's message shatters Avraham's carefully constructed world. Wow. So maybe these secrets were to protect themselves. This isn't such good news. This is some good news, but not fully good news. And therefore, I want to keep it a secret. But then when you realize and you look at it that way, that that secret is really part of a pattern of secrets. You see, Avram really keeps two secrets from Sarah. One, that she's going to have a baby. And then later, that he's going to kill that baby. And Akei does Yeslach, that he's going to kill Yeslach, doesn't tell Sarah. We also have Rivka, who, mind you, keeps four secrets within her relationship with Avram. Number one, source 19 the pain of her pregnancy, but if you look at the Mepharshim, I just gave you three here, but if you look at all the Mepharshim, they're like, okay, she went to a Navi, okay, she went to Avram, okay, she went to Shame. I mean, they're coming up with every name, but you know what they're trying to tell you? She didn't go to her husband. That's what she didn't do. She went to everybody else but her husband. She kept her pain a secret. Not just did she keep her pain a secret, she keeps the prophecy a secret from him and doesn't tell him what she is told when she's Ledroshet Hashem. But there's more than that, which is really quite interesting. In the story, when she keeps a secret, and we all know how the story turns out, which is, of course, therefore she has to hide this fact that Esav is, you know, Yitzchak, Yaakov is dressing up like Esav, which is all manipulated by her. But the secret goes further, and source number 20, look very closely. When the story plays out, and now Esav wants to kill Yaakov, and she needs to get Yaakov to leave the home, look what she tells Rif, what she tells Yitzchak. Vatomer Rifka Yitzchak, kasti Yaakov isha oh my my gosh, it would be terrible for me. If Yaakov marries from the land of Canaan, I would have no life. Please send him away to get married. She never tells him, Esav wants to kill Yaakov. We got to send him away to save his life. He doesn't know that. She keeps that a total secret. And if you don't believe me, Shadal says it. Yitzhak lo klum He has no clue that Esav wants to kill, kill Yaakov. Why? Because Rivka never tells him. And I'll be honest, it's unclear if she ever tells him that it's her idea, the whole manipulation thing that Yaakov pretended to be Esau, if it was her idea to begin with. So we have one secret that seems to cause the next secret, that seems to cause the next secret. And all of a sudden, you really have these pictures of absolute secrecy in these two relationships. But then you realize that the secrets have a lot in common. 
Avram's secrets are all about Yishmael and, y- and uh, Yitzchak, and Rivka's secrets are all about choosing Yaakov over Esav. And you have to understand, therefore, one secret did cause the other. Avraham, by not telling her about Yitzchak, probably made her realize that you didn't tell me because you didn't want to let go of Yishmael. And now, of course, we get into a fight about throwing Yishmael out of the home. And now, can I really tell Sarah that I'm about to kill Yitzchak because God told me so? Really? Do you think that she'll, she'll, she'll fall for that? Do you think she won't say, really? It's not just your way to get rid of Yitzchak so that Yishmael could come back. Remember Chazal says she brings Yishmael with. Maybe he couldn't tell her the second secret because he kept the first secret. And when it comes to Rivka, you could for sure see that because she doesn't tell Yitzchak, her husband, what happens when she's Ladrosh Hashem, when the babies are inside her stomach. So now she can't tell him all these years later, by the way, I kept a secret from you and now you're about to give the bracha to the wrong kid, and therefore I really should have told you this so many years before. If you look for time, I won't read it inside. That's exactly what the Barbanel says. One secret caused the other. And of course, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs as well, I'll read where I underline, it seems likely that Rivka never informed Yitzchak of the oracle before, um, the oracle she had before the twins, and then he goes on. He probably did not know because Rivka did not tell him, and therefore, that is why many years later, when she hears that Yitzchak is about to bless Asaph, she is forced into a plan of deception. And he asked my question, why did she simply tell Yitzhak that it was Yaakov who was to be blessed? Why? Because that would force her to admit that she had kept her husband in ignorance about the prophecy all the years the children were growing up. Had she spoken to Yitzhak on the day of the blessing, Yitzhak might have said something that would have changed the entire course of their and their children's lives. He goes on to say that the whole story is all because of secrets and his message, if you look at the end, is communication matters. She shouldn't have kept the secret from the start. And therefore, you could look at these stories as you're right. One secret, which they shouldn't have kept. They should have communicated with their spouse, led to the next secret, and for Rivka's case, to the next and to the next. And of course, to some extent, really led to really bad repercussions, teaching us how important it is to communicate and to not keep secrets. But I want to flip it. Because it really bothers me to take from here messages about Avram and Rivka and to turn it into something that is negative, to turn it into something that would seem to imply that they made a terrible mistake and they did something that was selfish, keeping a secret for their own benefit. And that's because if you look at Source 22, what I know about Avram, what I know about Rivka, what they have in common is that they are people of chesed. They are people who give to others. They're not people who are selfish in any way. They are people who do what God asked them to do, leave their family behind. They have so much in common. Avram and Rivka, it's very hard to look at them as being these people who keep a secret for selfish reasons. And therefore, I want to flip it to my final answer, which is as follows. Maybe they kept these secrets to protect their spouse. They kept the secret even if it was hard for them to keep the secret because they wanted to make sure that their spouse would be protected. And let me explain to you what I mean. As you notice in the chart, they both have lots of tests. They both have tests of chesed. They have tests of lech lecha, leaving behind their family. She says a lech, he says lech lecha. They both have series of tests. And one of the things you realize when you read through Sefer Breshit and the tests of Avraham and the tests of all of the Avod and the Imaho is that they're layered. Hashem gives you a piece of information but leaves out the rest. And therefore, you just follow blindly in the first piece until the next piece is revealed. And very often, because God keeps so much a secret from them, a lot of times things seem contradictory that only once the ending happens and the clarity comes, all of a sudden everything makes sense. Let me explain what I mean. Avraham is told, go to Israel, right? And then, within the same parak, there's a famine in the land. He has to go to Egypt. That makes no sense. And then God says, I'll make you a great nation. But he has no children, so that doesn't make sense either. And then God says, I'll give you a kid from your loins. He thinks it's Yishmael. And then he finds out years later, it's not Yishmael. And then he's told it's going to be Yitzchak, and then he's told to kill Yitzchak. So none of it 
it makes any sense. And therefore, you could understand someone like Avraham, who understands that God only says things in piecemeal. And sometimes you think you understand what God's saying, but then a few years later, or a few months later, whatever it is, the next step is revealed, and everything you thought you understood, you don't understand anymore. Avraham realizes, I have to keep this a secret from Sarah. Why? Because what happens to somebody who is told that after all of these years, she's going to have a baby and she gets so excited and she is celebrating and she is just elated. And then Avram says to her a few months later, just joking, I misunderstood the prophecy. Or Hashem revealed something else that undid that. He would shatter her. He would kill her. So too, if he said to her, God said, I have to kill Yitzchak, and all of a sudden, she thinks he's going to kill Yitzchak, he in his head is like, please, I know something's got to happen that's going to make it that I don't have to kill Yitzchak because this doesn't make any sense. And of course, we all know that's what happened. But could you imagine what would have happened had he told her that prophecy? And therefore, now all of a sudden, I understand the Ramban. What was Ramban saying? It's not that he wanted, he wanted God, he knew God was going to tell her. He was waiting for the clarity from God. I can't tell her now because I don't know if I have the pure clarity. And if I tell her something good and it's not true, she'll be shattered. If I tell her something bad and that ends up not being true, she'll be shattered by the news too. So better, I don't tell her anything. I can understand this as well within the story of Rivka so much. If you look at Source 23 with me, something that you realize, which is very important to the storyline of Rivka and Yitzchak, is that if you look at Pasuchaf and you look at Pasuchaf Vav, you see that Yitzchak marries Rivka when he is 40 years old and they have their children when he is 60 and that means they had infertility issues for 20 years very often people don't realize it because within three psukim they have children so it's hard you know you'd miss it 20 years they didn't have children and you kind of wonder when Avram couldn't have kids after a while he married Hagar to have a baby and we know that Yaakov marries Bilhah and Zilpah every time that we have struggling in terms of infertility Yitzchak for 20 years stays loyal to Rivka and if you look at the Mepharshim source 24, I gave you a Radak and a Sfarno, where really what Yitzhak is doing is saying to God, you bless me, I'm going to have kids. Guess what? I'm only going to do it with her. So I'll just keep waiting until you let her have a kid because I'm not marrying anyone else. And that's why there's an emphasis in the Pesukim, he davens for his wife. Because he's basically saying to God, that's what he's davening. He's saying, if you look where I underlined, I'm not doing it. I'm not marrying another woman. I'm not taking one of the maids. No way. This is the woman I want in the words of Sfarno. She attained lo oto hazeret I want a child from this one. So Yitzchak protects Rivka for 20 years by insisting that she's the one to have this child. So now comes Rivka, and she's finally pregnant. And you could understand she's struggling in this pregnancy. Who's the last person she wants to tell that she's struggling in a pregnancy? The husband who waited 20 years for her to become pregnant. And now she goes and she finds out this prophecy. And number one, to be honest, source 25, Radak tells us the words are actually ambiguous. The Rav will, will serve the younger, will the younger serve the older? Doesn't say Rav Yavot et ha-sa'ir. So it's a little ambiguous. Maybe she's like, I don't even know. I don't even know what the prophecy means. So maybe I shouldn't even tell him. But I think even further, she's like, even if I had the clarity, why would I tell him? 
He's been waiting 20 years to have children. Why can't I let him just enjoy the kids? Why do I have to tell him one's going to be better than the other? They're going to fight with each other. They're going to hate each other. They're going to have two different nations that are going to fight. Why? Why would I ruin it for Yitzhak? Let him enjoy his children. And now it's time. They're growing up. And he doesn't see the evils of Esau. And now he's about to bless Esau. And she's like, oh no, what am I going to do? He's about to bless Esau. I need him to bless Yaakov. Well, either I can reveal to him the evils of Esau. I don't want to do that. I don't want to shatter my husband. He loves Asaph. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try to manipulate him to give the blessing to the right kid. But I don't want him to know the evils of his son. He loves his son. Why can't I let him stay loving his son? I'm protecting him. And then all of a sudden, when it plays out the way it does, of course she's not going to tell Asaph wants to kill Yaakov. That would be terrible. Why would she tell him? By the way, we have to send away our son, the one we're living with. He's actually a murderer. And he wants to kill your other son. Happily ever after. Let's all live together. Happy family. No! Right? She says, oh, let's send him away. Let's get married, you know, like, that's all. Don't worry, Asaph is fine. And maybe she doesn't tell him that she was behind the trick, because why would she ruin the peace between her and her husband? Maybe all of the secrets were about making sure that they protected their spouse from knowing something that could actually hurt their spouse. Now, you might say to me, okay, that's lovely, but what about the repercussions, right? I spend so much time on repercussions. Well, let me show you. Maybe the repercussions have a positive twist at the end as well. If you go back to my first negative repercussion, which is God, as I mentioned, yelling at Sarah, source 26 of Let's look at that story again. That story, I don't think, makes any sense. If it's God getting annoyed at Sarah, when is it that someone laughs and God's like, how dare you do that? Why did you do that? We don't have stories like that in Tanakh. It just doesn't make any sense. I actually think the story is a little bit different. If you look at source 26, Sarah denies, I didn't laugh. Vayomer, somebody says, and he says, no, you did laugh. And if you look at a lot of the Mepharshim, as I gave you the Bechor Shore, they say, who's talking to her? It's Abraham. But if you take a step back and you look at Chazal, they don't think it's Abraham. They think it's God. And I gave you in source 27 over and over again, this is God talking to Sarah. And all of a sudden, this story means so much more than what I thought the story meant before. Because you see, if you take the life of Sarah, what you realize about Sarah is that this entire time she's in the dark, okay? She is married to Avraham. Avraham speaks to God. She does not. And she's doing everything Avraham tells her to do. Lech we got to move. Okay, God said we had to move. I'm going to move. Don't worry, God says we're going to have a great nation, but I'm not having any babies. You get taken by Paro. That's not so lovely, right? Okay, there are miracles. I get released. The whole time she's like, where's my, where do I fit in? And then all of a sudden, Avram marries Hagar, he has a baby with Hagar, and she's left out. Yishmael seems to be the chosen kid in Avram's mind. And Sarah's like, where do I fit in? Where's the clarity? Where am I part of this chosen nation? Where? But she stays. She stays and she sticks with Avram because she believes somewhere along the line, I'm going to figure it out, how I fit into this picture. And I think that's what this story is. Avram's saying, I'm not going to tell Sarah. I want God to tell it to Sarah. I want God to give clarity to Sarah. And therefore, this story, Sarah laughs. She's like, what are you talking about? God's like, you laughed. You didn't think I could do it. It's not yelling. Nobody says, doesn't say he's angry. He's not yelling. He's actually very calm. And he's saying to Sarah, like, why are you laughing? Don't you think God can do this? And she's like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. God said, you didn't. You didn't know. You didn't know the path. You didn't know how you're going to be part. Maybe even you thought you were going to be rejected at some point in time. So I'm telling you, it's okay. You're in. This is the way. This is the way it's going to take place. You're going to have Yitzhak. And I really think that that's what's going on here in the story. It's a powerful story of God for the first time. Speaking to Sarah according to, and I gave it to you here in Chazal, but also in the Nitziv, in the Pshat Mepharshim, as well as in Chazal, that this is an encounter of Sarah with God. And God is giving her clarity in that moment. And that's why this Pasuk, when she finally has 
as a baby is so powerful to me. Hashem Hashem did what he said. What did he say? He says, Sarah, I'm going to give you that baby, and that's your way in the nation. It's a beautiful ending. It's the clarity story. It's because Avram kept the secret. Sarah got clarity and got clarity from God. In the Rivka story as well, I can make the ending also a positive ending. I told you the terrible ending was Yaakov has to run away. Yaakov has to live away from his parents. It's terrible. There's division in the family, and they never get to see their son again. That's true. But if you look a little bit closer, I think that's not actually what's going on. If you look up through so many stories of Tanakh, which I'm going to run you through very, very quickly, uh, starting with source 28. The idea that you have to leave home to find yourself and go on a spiritual journey only to return to be the person you're meant to be is a theme of Sefer Breshit and beyond. If you look starting with Avraham, he has to leave his home in order to become the Avram Avinu. If you look very clear, I'm going to read only pieces, but I encourage you to read all of these things inside. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, in uh, understanding what Lech Lecha is really referring to, he talks about how leaders cannot conform. And he basically comes up with the thesis that God says to Avram, you need to leave behind all your other influences so you can become a leader. So you can figure out who you're meant to be. I'll read the end. I want you, says God to Avram, what I underline, to be different. Not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of starting something new. And in order to do that, he had to leave behind his entire family. Now you may say, okay, that's Avraham because he lived amongst idol worshippers and that's why he had to leave his family. But you see it again by Yitzchak. Source 29. After the Akedah, the Pasuk tells us Vayeshav, Avram, Avram returns. It's in singular. Two is not Arim. They all get up together. Vayeshav, Avram, Avram lives alone in Beersheba. And the next time we encounter Yitzchak is much, much later. It's two prakim later or even more than that because it's all the way to the end of Perach of Dalet. And Yitzchak happens to be in Berlach Hayroli. And we actually don't see Avram and Yitzchak together. And if you look at again Pshat Mefarshim as well as Midrash they separated after the Akedah. And if you look at Chazal, Barishas Rabbah, where did Yitzchak go? And the answer is, again, did he go to shame, whatever that means? He went on a spiritual journey. That's what it means. He had to separate from his father, possibly because he was scared of him because he tried to kill him, or possibly because this was his moment to become Yitzchak. And the Nisim asks a great question, right? The question that he asks in Source 30 is, I understand Avraham, right? He's got to leave his dad. Maybe he's not such a great guy, whatever. But Avraham, he's like the best Talmud like, wouldn't you want to learn from him? Like, why would you leave Avraham to learn from somewhere else? And then Yitzhak concludes, if you look where I underlined, that's true. The Lamadi Mo, you're right, Avraham was learning with his son, that's true. If you really, really want to have that connection to Torah, whatever that means, you need to learn it from two places, or multiple places. You have to have your own experiences. You can't just learn it from one person. And if you look at the uh, article that I quoted to you from Rabbi Michael Rosenswag, at YU, if you just look at the end, he tries to understand Yitzchak leaving behind Avraham, or Avraham really leaving Yitzchak behind after the Akedah, as a personal need in the pursuit of spirituality. This was Yitzchak's journey of figuring himself out before he returns, after he marries Rivka, to uh, where Avraham lived uh, in Beersheba. If you look this, though, this pattern continues, because it continues into Yaakov's children, too, source 31. They read Yehuda Yehuda leaves the family, 
Ben Yehuda becomes the leader. Yosef, who read Mitzrayim, Yosef leaves to go, his family to go down to Mitzrayim, and only in Mitzrayim, Vayihi Hashem, it's Yosef, he encounters God. Moshe, of course, also, Vayirach Moshe, Vayiparu, has to run away to Midian. You can read of Moshe Luchtenstein's piece as well, discussing how all those years that Moshe's in Midian, we have no idea what's going on, because that was his spiritual journey, to figure out who he was, and to decide if he was going to return to be the leader of Am Yisrael. People need to have that that journey away from everyone, that journey where they make the choice of who they want to be, away from the influence of Amr Avinu. That's what Yitzchak had to do, and of course, that's also what Yaakov has to do in his story. And that's why now it all makes sense. When Yitzchak has no idea that Esau wants to kill Yaakov, he's sending him away to get married. Why is he sending him away? It makes no sense. Why did he send away his son? Because that's what he knew he had to do in order to fulfill the next step of his journey. He tells him, source 33, two things. Number one, make sure you don't marry someone from Canaan, which is echoing what Avraham says to his servant, to make sure that Yitzchak is the next one in line and then Pasukimah, the Pasukim I read you before, this is the way you're going to get the bracha of Avraham on this journey is when you're going to get the bracha of Avraham. Staying here, you can't get it because you need to go off on your own and if you look through the Pasukim, that's exactly what happened. Source 34, right away, as soon as Yaakov leaves the home, he has the dream of the ladder he encounters God and God speaks to him for the first time. That's the first time he ever talks to God and God introduces himself Ani Hashem, okay Avraham, Avicham, Okay, Yitzchak, because now that you're on this spiritual journey, I'm going to introduce myself to you. And he promises him, you're going to go on this journey, you're going to have some time away, and I promise you though, I will return you. When that journey is over, you will come back to this place. And that's exactly what is occurring in the story of Yaakov. It's a spiritual journey captured beautiful again by Rabbi Sachs in Source 35. I'll read what I bolded. Yaakov was the man whose greatest vision came to him. He was alone at night, far away from home, fleeing from one danger to the next at the end, yet it is at these points of maximum vulnerability that he encounters God and finds the courage to continue despite all the hazards of the journey. And we know that's exactly what happens. He gets to the house of Lavan, he marries ends up four wives. He has his 12 sons and a daughter. And after all of that occurs, source 36, God says, okay, Yaakov, you're done. Your journey is over. Time to come home. Now it is time to come home. And I will be with you. We all know the story. Source 37, he encounters an Ish. He has some sort of encounter with God. His name gets changed, just like Avram and Sarah's name gets changed. He encounters God. This is his big moment. And immediately afterwards, source 38, he reunites with his father and lives in the exact location where Abraham lived, where Yitzchak lives, and now Yaakov lives. And what happens when he returns the next psukim I gave you? Esav leaves. It's time for Esav to go because Yaakov has returned. That's the story of the secret. And really, therefore, at the end of the day, one could understand the stories as the secrets actually led us to the points we needed to go to. We needed Avram to keep it a secret so Sarah could have that moment of clarity from God. We needed Rivka to keep the secret so the story would unfold that Yaakov could have his journey going away from his home, having that spiritual encounter with God, and return to to be our third of. What I find really interesting 
is that we ended up with two very opposite conclusions to our story. And I think it is true that there are secrets that can be seen as negative and can also be seen as positive, just like our two perspectives. And I think there are certainly lessons that could be learned in both ways. If I look at the secrets as more negative, leading to terrible results, then the message that comes through is the value of communication, the value of not keeping secrets, especially when one shouldn't keep a secret from someone so close to you, and the damage that could occur by keeping secrets and not communicating. That's true. But if I look at it in the more positive light, I actually see a different message coming through. Because in our stories, as I mentioned to you earlier, I am very sure Avram and Rivka wanted to tell the secret. It actually probably pained them to some extent to keep the secret. Could you imagine Avram like, I just want to tell Sarah she's going to have a baby. I mean, I'm bursting, I'm bursting. And he had to keep it in. Or Rivka, who's like, I just want to tell Yislav so he can share with me the pain that I'm going through of knowing what's going to be the result of our twins and they're going to fight and there's going to be terrible things that are going to happen between them. I want to share that with him because I'm in pain from it, but I'm going to hold it in and I'm going to hold it in because why should I do that to you? I want to protect you from the pain that sharing the secret is going to cause. And therefore, maybe the message on the second hand is sometimes we keep secrets in order to ensure that people that we love and people that we care about are protected and don't feel the pain that they necessarily don't have to feel if the secret is not revealed. Now, one of the things that I love about learning and teaching Torah, and so so many of you, by the way, thank you all for coming out from all these different places, and so many faces that I know from all the different places I give to your room, so I know you all can't live in Woodmere, like that does not make sense, because I see you all, uh, all over the place, um, but um, is one of the things I love about teaching Torah, as, as so many of you know, is that you can start out with a question that's just like, I have no clue, I have no idea what the answer to this question is, it, it's something, by the way, the sheer years it took me to write, because it bothered me so much, I just couldn't, I couldn't get the answer, I couldn't get the clothes, um, but what's so incredibly fascinating is that by the time you're done, you have answers that really are such a big span. They're such opposites of each other, and they all seem to fit within the text. And therefore, at the end of the day, it's for us to decide which is the way we want to look at this story or these stories in the Torah. But what I do know is that when we started, we had these secrets that were almost inexplicable. We just didn't understand why we hear about them in the Torah, why they would be kept. But by the end of this year, what we realize is that they are fundamental to the development of the entire story of the Avot and Imaho, and of course they help us so much to understand why people keep secrets, sometimes even from their spouses. Thank you all very, very much. Wow. Thank you so much, Professor Price. I couldn't notice to everybody and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs>